Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Everybody good? Why don't you give it up for the team today? They did an amazing job leading us today. They do a great job every week. Uh, If you're online, why don't we welcome our online uh, church right now? Give them a big round of applause. Sometimes we forget uh, that we have five, six, seven hundred people that watch every week online between all the services, and so it's exciting. Uh, And I'm just going to get right into it today. We uh, started this series last week on promises, and um, I told you there was about 6,000 promises, and if we took one promise every weekend, we would go for about a century, about 100 years, uh, it would take us to get it all done. And so we're not going to do that. We're going to kind of bundle stuff together and maybe talk about some of the biggest areas of our lives that that we need to kind of uh, get get in the right frame, uh, frame of mind or maybe just get in the right place with Jesus as far as this, these promises. And so today I'm going to talk about one actually that I think kind of a, there's a bunch of lo- just lumped into this one, but it's one of those deals where it's something that's eluded us in our, in our world. As a matter of fact, if you turn on the news anytime now, you see the craziness that's going on in other countries. Um, and you can honestly, you turn to craziness and see what's going on in this country and even in our community. And one of the things that I think has eluded us that we're going to talk about today, that's, it's a promise, we'd understand it's a promise, is the promise of peace. That God promised, he doesn't promise we're going to have peace in the Middle East, he doesn't promise, but that doesn't mean that it eludes us in our own personal life. Like there may not be promise in the world, uh, uh, peace in the world, but we can have peace in our little world, our little, and it's all dependent on how we handle this thing. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to an Old Testament story, we're going to read a lot of scripture today, but we're going to go to an Old Testament story, it's about the prophet Elisha and his servant, and there's a woman and there's a child involved, and some of you have probably read the story, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through this, after I get done reading through it, we'll backfill a little bit, and we'll talk about how it pertains to our own personal lives and peace. So if you have a Bible, an analog Bible, uh, you're going to want to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 11. If you're on new version, I want you to acclimate yourself real quick to the highlight tab, um, because there's some, a couple things I want you to highlight today, because they're really important. If you don't have the availability to do that, just jot it down on your hand, on the hand of the person next to you. I don't care where you jot it down. You're going to want to jot it down, because it's going to be really good, okay? So here we go. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 11. One day, Elisha returned from uh, Shunem, and he went up to his upper room to rest. He said to the servant, uh, Gyazi, he said, tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gyazi, tell her we appreciate the kind concern you have for us. What can we do for you? Let me just pause for a second. What had happened was, Elijah was coming in and out of this, this town so many times that they basically got adopted by this older couple. And the older couple uh, developed a, a place where they could stay. And so every time they would come through, they would stay at this one place. And this is really important to the whole big picture of the story, where this place is. Okay, so he says, tell her we appreciate her kind concern that you've shown her. What can we do for you? And it says, this, can we put a good word for you into the king or to the commander of the army? She says, nope. She replied, my family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha and Gyazi, um, uh, later, Elisha, what can we do for her? And Gyazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Now I want to stop right there. I'm going to let you a little bit into my brain real quick. Now, did anybody else read it the way I read it? She doesn't have a son and her husband's really old. And I can picture Elisha going, well, what do you want me to do about it? Am I the only one? Some of you aren't getting this. 
Like I was waiting for the next line. So Elisha slept with, that's not what happened. But it's one of those deals where, okay, so what can we do for Gehazi? Replies, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. You'll never read this passage again the same way he just read it. <laughs> he says, call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her and stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she, she cried. Oh, oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Now I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna backfill a little bit right here. I'll guarantee you, don't raise your hands, but I'll guarantee you many people in this room have felt like that right, right there. They see the miracles that everybody else is having. They see these things happen in this person's life and this person's life and this person and this healing over here and this marriage restored and this cancer, you know, deliver, all this other stuff. And you're going, whoa, 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 whoa. And God said, I'm gonna make you a promise. You go, don't, don't you do that to me. Don't, don't, don't you, don't you, don't give me false expectations. Don't, don't, don't let me. And I remember in my life, there's, there's been times, I actually shared a little bit about it last week where I'm wondering why everybody else, and I'm kind of going through my checklist. Why is everybody else getting blessed? Why is everybody, that's how she's feeling right now. She's going like, why is all this stuff happening? Everybody else, don't give my, don't get my hopes up. This was such a painful topic to her that she couldn't bear the thought of being disappointed. In verse 17, it says, be sure enough that the woman uh, soon will become pregnant. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. One day, when her child was older, he went out to help his father, who was working in the, as, uh, with the harvesters. Suddenly, he cries out. He goes, my heart hurts, or my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him to, to his mother. So the servant took him home. His mother held him on her lap, but around noontime, he died. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And then he shut the door. She shut the door and left him there. Drop down to verse 23. Why go today? He asked. It's neither a, a new moon festival or a new Sabbath. But she, but she says this. She said, it will be all right. I want you to underline that. Like in the midst of all this chaos, how is she saying it's going to be all right? How, how is she going, listen, th this situation is, is not what it seems like. It will be all right. So, she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you. As, he, as she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in a distance. He said to Gazi, he said, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to her and ask her, is everything all right? Your husband, all right? Your child, all right? Are you okay? And she says, yes, the woman told Gazi, everything is fine. Underline that right there. Because there's a word in there we're gonna look at. Everything is fine. But when she came to the man of God in the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet and Gyazi began to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She is deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. And then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? No, didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Stop for a second. This is really interesting. She says, everything's all right. Everything's fine. Now, now so outsider looking in, we can tell that everything's not fine. That, that there's a dead son in Elisha's bed. That the, the son that was promised a year ago now is dead. Now, 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 now what is going through her mind? It's probably the same thing going through her mind, our, our minds. And I, I've been thinking about this for the last couple of days. That response is really interesting. All right is the word shalom. The word shalom means hello and goodbye, and it also means peace. But in our world, that word shalom is more, more encompassing than just that. As a matter of fact, what the word shalom means is the absence of conflict. It's about harmony. It's about wholeness. It's about completeness. It's about prosperity. It's about welfare and tranquility. Everything that is good is summed up in that word shalom. So she goes, she goes, it's shalom. 
Now, from the outsider looking in, I'm trying to figure out why is she saying that everything is okay? Well, maybe, maybe, just maybe, she's a lot like a lot of us in this room. Now, I know, I know first service people, like, they, 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 everybody raise their hands. Second service, there's nobody because everybody in this room is really spiritual, and so we're not going to. But, but have, you ever, have you ever been to the point where somebody goes, how are you doing? And you go, I'm all right. And you know you're lying through your teeth. All hell is breaking loose in your life. Everything that could possibly go wrong is going wrong. But you go, what? How you doing? Tina, how you doing? I'm doing great. You know, a tougher question is the second question after that. It's, it's a, how are you doing, Tina? I'm doing all right. And then how are you really doing? I hate it when people ask that question. Do you know what? Because I feel obligated to tell everybody what's going on in my life. Here's the issues I'm having. I'm having this issue at work. I'm having this issue in my family. I'm having, you know, in the world that we live in. But everything's all right. So either she's lying or she's denial. Or maybe it's the third one. Maybe, in fact, she believes God's promises so much that she knows everything's going to be fine. Maybe she understood that when the, when, when the prophet told her that, that, that she was going to have a child, that that was being spoken directly for, from God, and God had a bigger plan than even this situation, like even, the, even if he's dead for a while. And it made me think about Abraham and Isaac. Abraham, for years, is being told he's got a promised son, and he, has, he's, he's get, he gets asked to go out, and he says, go, go look at the stars, and your seed is going to be as plentiful as the stars in heaven, and I don't even have a child yet. And in that moment, he has Isaac. But what does God tell Isaac to do? Lay himself down, right? He says to Abraham, takes him, he's going to be a sacrificial lamb. Now, now, I have a feeling that Abraham knew, just like this woman, the Shunammite woman knew, that she wasn't really going to lose her son. And in our lives, in your life, in my life, the promises of our God are yes and amen. And at some point, like we talked about last week, we have to hold on to those promises. We have to grasp those promises. We see all these promises of peace throughout Scripture, and they're ours to claim. I want you to understand. I want you to write down. We see all these scriptures, you know, all these, but they're ours to claim that every one of them, Every single one of the 6,000 can be ours, and peace is one of those. I, I love Psalms, says it like this. It says in Psalms 29, 11, the Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with, what's that next word? Peace. He gives all of us that. John 16, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Somebody say amen to that. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. And then he says this in John 14, 27, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And a peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Somebody walked up to me two weeks ago and said, you just seem to be the most happy, happy person in the whole world. I'm like, you don't see me at home. All right, you don't see me in my car when one of you cut me off. I'm not real happy. I'm glad I do a lot of my stuff below the window line. Right? And you guys too, right? But, but you, know what I, you know what I've learned? If I put my faith and my trust in this world, I'll never have peace. You know, you know this world didn't give me my peace. And so in, if it hasn't given it to me, it can't take it back either, can it? So it's one of those deals we have to understand that, that God promises peace. Philippians chapter four, verse seven. He said, then you will experience God's peace. That's what we need to experience in the world we live in, in our world, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And then Isaiah tells us 
In Isaiah chapter 26, verse three, he tells us this, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and whose thoughts are fixed on you. He almost gives us the, 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 the equation for what peace looks like. He says this, he said, you will find perfect peace if you tr- or, uh, all who trust in you whose, whose thoughts are fixed on me. Let, me. let me tell you the first thing. We need to understand that peace begins in our own minds. Peace begins right here. If you're asking somebody else to bring you peace in your life, if you're asking a circumstance to bring, you got it all wrong. Peace starts right here. And some of you are going, oh, where's he going to go with this? Follow me. Because what we think about is what we become. How we think about ourselves is what we become. Specifically, hey, here's a question. How many people have ever been stressed and upset? So I don't know why there's not everybody raising their hand, but okay. Do you know what I find? And this is a, it's an epidemic right now that the number one way people get rid of stress and upsetness and fear and anxiety is we go right to a bottle, right? Either a pill bottle or a drink bottle. Now listen, there's le- legit people that have legit needs that, 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 that medicine is you know, doing a great thing. But man, I'm telling you, I know as many people that that's their first resort. Regardless, they haven't even tried anything else, let alone tried Jesus. So it's one of those deals where, and, and maybe it's not that, maybe it's we, we, we ease back into a different relationship or a bad relationship or we ease into another career. Whatever it is, we look everywhere else instead of looking in our own minds and going, you know something, I gotta take these thoughts into captivity. I, I'm gonna read something. I'm not a big King James person. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an ESV, NLT, message, you know, message kind of, but the King James has great poetry in this passage of scripture. And I'm gonna read it from the King James. It says, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. We're gonna break this down in a second. This past week, I came across a study that Duke University did. And it was a study of peace of mind. It was about having peace of mind and, and, and the factors that contribute to, to, to emotional stability and, and, and to mental stability. And I'm not much on read list, but I'm gonna read these things to you because I think they're really good. Uh, one of the first ways to mental stability, understanding emotional stability, having peace of mind is the absence of suspicion and resentment. The absence of suspicion, that means this, nursing a grudge with, 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 with a major, you know, like, like major is a major factor in unhappiness. When we keep playing that over and over again, that person that hurt us five years ago or 10 years ago, I joke about rigid, you know, I'm the way I am because my dad and mom rigid potty training. Uh, I'm really not. But isn't it, don't we, it seems like we go back and we blame everything. We don't get peace of mind. We don't have emotional stability. How about this? Not living in the past. An unwholesome preoccupation with all mistakes and failures lead to, leads to depression. Not wasting time and energy, fighting conditions you cannot change. Hey, there's some things you just can't, you can't fix, right? You can't fix stupid, right? But, but we try, how about this? Cultivate the old-fashioned virtues. I love this one here. Love, humor, compassion, and loyalty. Do not expect too much of yourself. When there's too wide of a gap between self-expectation and your ability to, make, uh, to meet the goals that you have, there's a feeling of inadequacy, and it's inevitable that you're going to feel that way. So it's too high expectations. Finding something bigger than yourself to believe in. Of course that makes sense, doesn't it? That we've put our faith in something bigger. Now they're not talking, they're not talking necessarily about God, but in our life, when we look at scripture, we see it over and over again. When we put our trust in God, he takes care of us. Oh, exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or imagine. That's how he says, that's what he says. 
Now, I want want everybody to get this one truth. I want you to write this down. There is nobody that can speak to your mind other than you. There's no one that that knows what's going in your mind. And there's no one that should be able to change your mind other than you. The problem is we haven't decided who's allowed to go there. We haven't decided what we're allowed to go into our minds. Here's what my wife says, and I I love my wife, but sometimes she's so right. You know, you just get mad, right? She goes, your issues have babies. Your issues have babies. And I know that's true. And then she'll say something along the lines of this. I love this one. This is one of my favorites. You're allowing that situation to live rent-free in your brain. How many, time, how many times have you allowed something to live rent-free in your brain? It's, it's time to start charging that thing rent. Or kick it out. Kick it out of the house. <laughs> one of the things that I've had to do. Um, how many people... How many people have, when your mind is idle, you drift all over the place? Anybody besides me? I just want to make sure we're on the same. Okay. So you know what I've had to do? I have two lists. I'll talk about one list now. I'll talk one list later. I have a to think about list. And so what I do, and especially when I'm getting ready for a long ride, like I I drive about 15 or 20 minutes, or if I'm going someplace that's, you know, a longer ride, I actually will write down what I want to think about on my trip. Now, I told you my issues have babies. But you know why I do that? Because if I don't do that, I'll be thinking about the person that offended me 10 years ago. <laughs> Hello. Or I'll be thinking about, or I'll be thinking about that, mis- that mistake I made 25 years ago. If I don't control my mind, you know what'll happen? It'll drift all over the place. So what I, t- what I sit in my car about, and I'll tell you, I could, I could show you the list right now. Right now on my list, my to think about list is Christmas series is coming up and I need to start Christmas series. And, and Easter, what are we gonna do for Easter next year? Okay, I have issues, I know. But, but, but some of them are just like, you know something, Bobby? You're doing a really good job. Like, I, if I wait for you guys to tell me, it'll never happen. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But you, right? Right? And so so I, I, gotta, I gotta have this list of things to think through. And that way, when, my, when I start going off, you know, I get I just one degree off in my life, I go back to my, this is what I'm gonna think about. See, peace begins in our minds. It begins with our thoughts. It's something you can do. I can do something about it. So why don't we do something about it? Which leads me to the second thing. Peace requires, and I love this, a disciplined thought life. Not just, not just it starts here, it needs to be disciplined. Listen to what it says here. And I, I love just the way the, the way the writer writes this. It says, that will keep him in perfect peace who, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. That stayed word is a really interesting word. I, at first when I was reading, I was thinking it was just being like, I'm in place, I'm, it's a proximity statement. But it's not, it's actually a nautical. It's about a, a, a boat with a ship. And in the top of the mast, there's all these big ropes that are coming out. And the stay means that it stays in place because of these, these, actually the word is discipline because of these discipline ropes that they stay. That's what he's saying we need to do. The word actually means that we should, we should be stayed in place, that we should be trusting, we should be disciplined in our lives. I heard a story about a guy named Michael. Michael is the type of guy that most of us in this room would hate because he's so positive. You been around that person? Michael, someone would go, hey, how's your day? And he would go, man, if it was any better, I'd be twins. Like, right? Like he was a guy, he made a choice years ago. And this is what he said his choice was. His choice was says he, he could be miserable in his life or he could be happy in his life. He could, he could be happy in everything he's doing and have a good life or he can have a miserable life or he could be in toxic relationships or he can be in health. He, he made up his mind. A few years ago, he fell 60 feet 
60 feet from a utility tower. And when he fell, he landed on the ground and the paramedics were looking at him like he had no hope. As a matter of fact, when he got to the hospital, he could hear the murmuring in the back, like there's no way this guy's gonna make it. And he said when he was sitting on the ground, he determined that he had one of two, one of two choices. He was gonna live or he was gonna die. And he, he chose because of his son and his, his daughter and his, and his wife that he was gonna live. So he goes in there and he hears all this chattering going on in the ER. And, and all of a sudden somebody stops and one of the nurses goes, hey, Mr. Michael, can you hear me? And he goes, I can hear you. And he goes, uh, you know, like, are you allergic to anything? And he said, yes. And everybody in the hospital got quiet because they were waiting if they were gonna give him something that was gonna, you know, cause him a problem. And he goes, I'm addicted. Um, he says, he says, he says um, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Allergic issues have babies. I'm allergic to gravity. And he looked at the guy, the, the doctor, and he said, can you do me a favor? Can you work on me like I'm gonna live instead of working on me like I'm gonna die? And he lived. And I remember thinking to myself, that's not positive thinking. That's understanding who you are. That's saying, I'm not gonna allow anything impact this brain right here that God doesn't allow to impact it. That I'm only gonna think on God. I'm not gonna think about all the negative stuff. And what would happen in our lives if we did the same exact thing? See, what's happened in my life, if I can just lay it all on the line, I have recognized certain bad patterns in my life with thinking. I struggle with this. I struggle with fear and anxiety, and it's all because of this right here. So what I had to put in my life is I had to put two lists. The list of, this is what I'm gonna think about, and then I have a list. You can look at my, I have a list that's called Off Limits, and these are things I'm not gonna think about. I'm not gonna think about that mistake I made 20 years ago. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna think about that person that wronged me or what they said. I'm not gonna keep bringing that up because if I keep bringing them up, I'm only gonna go one direction and that's not good. I love, and I've lived by this, philosopher Marcus Aurelius said this. He said, the soul becomes dyed with color of its thoughts. Every one of our thoughts is marked and dyed by something over here. And our brain, our body, our life is marked by whatever happened, either good or bad either healthy or not healthy, either joyful or resentful, whatever it's gonna be, and that choice is ours. Let me give you another thing here. Peace requires, and some of you are gonna go, why, why don't we start with this one? Because I want it to be the last thing that you heard today. Peace requires a mind focused on God and God alone. Can I just throw this out? There is no lasting peace without Jesus in your life. You can find all kinds of temporary peace and all kinds of other things, you can find it in relationships, you can find it in careers, but you will never find true peace until you know who Jesus is. Know Jesus, K-N-O-W, and you have peace. But N-O, know Jesus, there's no peace. It, it, it's absolutely impossible. How, how many people know who Matthew Perry is? Matthew Perry, if you've ever watched the, the show Friends, anybody ever watched the show Friends? Everybody's, nobody's gonna put their hands up now. We're in church. I watch Friends, it's, I love the reruns. Um, but it's one of those shows that, that you look at them and they were all, you know, but I didn't know the story behind Matthew Perry. So I, I decided to pick up one of his books and I started reading his books. And one thing that's pretty amazing to me about Matthew Perry is he says at one point he lived in a multi-million dollar apartment overlooking Central Avenue. He was making a million dollars a week for the show Friends. A million dollars a week. Can you imagine that? 
he was dating one of the, the prettiest uh, actresses of the time, Julia Roberts. He had everything going. He had everything, everything going. But he said, you know something? Peace eluded me. You know why? You'll never find peace in stuff. You'll never find peace in things. The only place you'll find peace is in Jesus Christ. Now, interesting thing, I was reading this on Thursday. Matthew Perry had a spiritual encounter about a year ago. He was coming out of detox. He was struggling. He was wanting to go back. And in the midst of all that, he said he was sitting in his room and all of a sudden the room filled with light. And all of a sudden he heard the Holy Spirit speak to him. Basically the same thing I'm telling you, you'll never find peace until you find it with Jesus. So one of those deals. Now I'm not here to judge the guy or anything else, but I'll tell you firsthand, I've tried all the other stuff and it's led me to problems and destruction and my brain, my brain hurting and not thinking about the things. It's when I gave my life to Jesus in 1983 that all of a sudden I found real peace. Because you know what happens? If our mind's not stayed on Jesus, it's stayed on all the other stuff. It'll be stayed on our past sin, our bad relationships, our problems, the person that did this, the person that did it. That's what it'll be stayed on. Instead, let's put all of our attention on Jesus and watch what happens. Philippians chapter four, verse eight says it like this, and I love this. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. Think about these things. They are excellent and worthy of praise. I was thinking about this. Anybody ever clean their house? A couple of you? Uh, I, I don't know, like first service, I was a little worried. Nobody raised their hand. So I asked them not to invite me over to their house for anything ever. You know how good your house cleaning is when you move to another house and you move your furniture and there's still the, right? But when you clean your house, do you don't, uh, maybe you do, but you don't move every piece of furniture, do you? You move the clutter. You, you, move, you move like the sock that was left there, or, you know, your husband's underwear, or, you know, the plate that somebody brought into the bedroom. You move that stuff and you clean up, uh, you know, but you leave the furniture there. That's exactly what this passage is talking about. See, what happens in our brain is that we allow a lot of clutter to get in our brains. And it's all the other stuff that we don't need to be thinking about. And what passage is, uh, Philippians chapter four is saying, now I want you to fix your, I want you to declutter your life and I want you to put the good things in there. I, I want you to think about what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See, I think that's where the Shuhamite woman went right. I believe she was thinking about the things. She was thinking about the promises. She knew that her God was gonna come through. Let's see how this story ends. Because I'm telling you, it's one of the most miraculous stories that I've read in the Bible. It says, Elisha said to Gazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. The boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go home with me. So Elisha returned with her. Gazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign. He returned to Elijah and he told him, the child is still dead. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and he shut the door and behind him and prayed, prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes and the hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, he walked back and forth across the room, 
He stretched himself out on the child and this time the boy sneezed seven times and he opened his eyes. And then Elisha summoned Gyazi and said, call to the mother, he said. And when she came in, Elisha said, here he is, your son, your son's alive. That's a miracle. That's miraculous. That's a promise. That's an answer to the promise that God wasn't gonna let her down. That that Elisha promised her that she was gonna have a son and that God was gonna keep his promises. By the way, God's a promise keeper in everything he does. You know where the, the, the problem lies? It's us. Is we don't believe his promises. We don't grasp all to his promises. That child would still be dead if it wasn't for her believing what God had spoke to her. You know what it made me think? How many things are left dead in our lives because we don't believe in the promise? How many relationships are left dead because we didn't believe in what God was calling what he promised us. How many dreams, dreams of ministry or occupation or you know school, whatever, how many dreams are left dead because we just don't believe the promise is gonna happen? What, what is it in, what is it? I know what it's in my, what's in my, what, what's in your life? What's those things that are left dead? They're sitting over there, they're lying on the bed and just waiting for the prophet to come over and talk to it. I believe today, through the Holy Spirit, the greatest prophet, the Holy Spirit. He's speaking life into those dead areas. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to, I want you to stand up with me for a second. And we're gonna pray. And we're gonna be led into song. It's an old song. If you've ever been around church, you know this song, you've heard this song. But I want you to sing the words. I want you to make this our prayer today. That God, listen, I believe it as well because of who you are and what you've promised. You've made these bold, 6,000 bold promises and I'm gonna start claiming some of those things. And God, I need you. Think about this. What are the things that you need God to bring back to life? Maybe it is your relationship with a spouse or your child or a parent. Maybe maybe he needs to resurrect your career. Maybe you feel like you're in a dead end. Maybe you feel like you're going nowhere in life. Maybe you were in ministry at one point and you walked away and you, you see that thing over there and it just looks like a dead, it's a dead child. It's just, it's over there, but the prophet's about to speak to it. He's gonna raise it back to life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment right here, that's my prayer. My prayer is that you are breathing life just like you breathe life into the bones and all of a sudden bones started attaching to each other and ligaments and then skin and then you breathe by your Holy Spirit on that valley of dry bones that came back to life. God, I pray that where there's places in our lives that seemingly are like a valley of dry bones, you would speak into those right now and that you would bring back to life what you want to be back. God, I pray that we would be real honest with you right now that we will have maybe the most introspective moment we've ever had in our lives in conversation with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.